Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Don Abernathy. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, your favorite World War II podcast. And uh, we have gone mobile this week. The At Computer Studios is now mobile. We went, didn't go too far. We are in Boquilla, Florida. And it's a very special day for us. We are at the wrap party for the Walking Point World War II movie. Woo-hoo! Yeah. And we have a large crowd here in our mobile studios. But uh, we're going to start things off with the man who put this whole thing together. It was a dream of his. It was a passion project of his. And he made it happen. He crowdfunded it. He wrote it. He sourced the uh, everyone involved. Mr. R.J. Nevins Jr. R.J., how you doing, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. Um, first, let me say this. Um, I, I fell into this simply doing what I do, which is uh, trying to get content for my show. I saw that you guys uh, actually, I think it was because of Jeff and the National World War II um, the National Pacific World War II Museum, they put a post out on Instagram about this new movie uh, coming out called Walking Point. And so I sent them a message. I said, hey, my name is Don Abernathy. I do a World War II-based podcast. I'd love to have you on the phone to uh, promote your project. And you guys asked for information, and you came back and said, well, where are you at? I said, I'm in Florida. And you said, well, we're actually uh, filming our final scenes in Boquilla. And I said, well, that's in my backyard. And so here we are. And uh, you guys shot your final scenes uh, yesterday and today, and uh, you wrapped your project. But, um, RJ, let's start at the beginning a little bit. How did this whole passion project start up for you, and um, what did it take to get the job done? Yeah, it's kind of hard to sum up, but, I mean, I'll, uh, trying to start at the beginning, gosh, it was so long ago. It was probably seven years ago or so. I've always been a dog guy my entire life. I've had Doberman Pinschers pretty much my entire adult life. And, um, you know, that, that kind of threw me into the, the throes of, um, you know, trying to research, like, the history of the breed. I had to put down um, one of my Doberman, Sydney Bell, and that, that's what kind of led me to do some research on it. So, I mean, it's kind of in her memory it kind of all started. So, you know, doing research, it just kind of led me to, you know, figure out where the first war dog platoon, the first trained war dog platoons actually happened. And, you know... Um, it, it led me back to Camp Lejeune, mm-hmm. Camp Pendleton, and uh, a wonderful man, Lieutenant William Putney, um, who actually, uh, you know, he was one of the uh, lieutenants for one of the first war dog platoons that actually took the dogs into Guam, took them training from Camp Lejeune to Camp Pendleton, and it really just absolutely sparked my interest in it all. And, you know, that's that's really kind of where it started. And there there were other influences. There was a, a gentleman who was a Navy SEAL. His name was John Tomlinson. 2011, he was killed in combat. And when they uh, when they put his body to rest, they actually um, laid it in his high school gym for a while with the flag draped over it. And everybody came to pay their respects to John. And uh, from that, there was a a picture that circulated around the internet and absolutely very emotional very touching picture that that not just kind of touched me but I'm sure it touched everybody that really saw mm-hmm. that picture and there's actually video of it too I believe but his his dog his pet dog his name was Hawkeye um, Hawkeye actually walked into the gym down the aisle walked past everybody looked at a few people 
and then went and laid down in front of his casket. And it was a, uh, a very emotional picture. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, man's best friend. And that was kind of the, uh, that kind of summed it up all for me, you know. And so you, you took a passion and, and the love that you had, which is the Doberman and history, and you came up with a script and a concept and an idea. And just to fast forward a little bit for the sake of time, whenever you're going to have a project like this, especially when you're going to have a feature that revolves around a non-human main aspect of the, the movie. I mean, obviously, your actors are a key role, but you need a canine for this. Right. Without absolutely. the dog, you have nothing. I mean, not, yeah, it's just another World War II movie. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sure at the beginning you, you had to um, do some research and figure out, well, who am I going to get to, uh, to star in the movie as far as the Doberman goes and the, right. and the canine companion. So right. where did that go and how did you uh, come up with your answer? Well, I mean, obviously uh, looking for somebody to portray one of the lead characters in your film, right, who's mm -hmm. not necessarily a human and it's hard to find a real solid acting reel for a dog, right? I mean, there's only a few. I mean, if you think of Dobermans in the past in film, there's the Doberman gang, there's... Um, you know, Zeus and Apollo from the, uh, the old Magnum P.I. There's the new Magnum P.I. dogs. And, um, you know, so, the, so there's very few animal actors out there that fit the role of, you know, a real solid Doberman that would want to play this. That's, that's highly trained and everything. And so I looked around, and, and honestly, where it all landed, I, the first person I ever talked to was Ed. And I talked to him about Duke. And, uh, you know, we found Ed and Duke. They were... Um, out in Menlo Park, California. I just I simply reached out to him and asked if he was interested in it. And uh, I think my recollection serves me correctly, but when Ed came back to me, he was basically like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, and from there, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping about six years in, sure. in the inter, interim where, you know, we wrote the feature script, uh, feature screenplay, and um, put it out on the, on the circuit, and it went quite well. It won, you know... Uh, awards worldwide from Australia to United States to you know various other places in England and everything so I knew there was a good story there right and uh, from there um, obviously budgeting that kind of huge feature is uh, you know tens of millions of dollars easily so um, we adapted it to a novel and put it out on uh, self-published it and it did, it's done quite well it still does quite well um, we give away free copies on, you know, Canine Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and stuff like that, and it gets downloaded thousands of times on those days. So I know people <coughs> enjoy the story. So, so that idea kind of led to let's do a short script, and let's do a short film, and let's fundraise for it, and and that's when I started to approach Ed and Duke to see if they wanted to be involved in it. Now, Ed, when you got the uh, the request to participate in this project. Did you have any um, past experience in any sort of Hollywood productions or even television shows, anything even remotely similar to working on a project such as this? My experience and expertise was going to the movies and watching them on, in a theater. So that <laughs> that's was my extent when RJ reached out. And I told him that. I said, my dog is a working dog, and, and he's not an actor, and I'm not an actor, and I don't know if he'd be able to 
do what you're going to ask of him. So that, that was my first concern. Ed's being very humble. I'd seen videos. I'd, I'd kind of internet stalked Ed for probably about a month and a half. And I saw the videos <laughs> of Duke working, and I knew Duke had, you know, all the qualities that that we would look for in Walking Point. As a matter of fact, I think I even re rewrote some of the stuff in the, in the short script to, uh, to kind of cater towards Duke and his skills. So. Now, as you said, Duke is a working dog. Now, for the sake of our listeners who aren't familiar with Duke and his pure majesty, because he is a stellar, fine canine and a beauty to look at, what uh, what occupation is Duke involved in, Ed? So, Duke is a certified narcotic detection dog. He's a single-purpose dog. Uh, he's not an apprehension dog. Uh, his job is just to find narcotics. Uh, I supervise our narcotics enforcement team for our department um, with all my detectives and... and uh, he runs with me, he's my personal dog, and, and we use him throughout the week when we do our specific missions. Now Duke has also found his way into, inadvertently almost, kind of becoming a, um, a therapy dog almost when it comes to, I know you did some um, volunteer service at a uh, children's hospital, is that correct? Yes, part, part of when Duke's story is pretty authentic, he's, he's my actual personal dog. I bought him at eight weeks old as my personal companion and um, convinced, or uh, to put it lightly, my chief of police to make him a police officer. So uh, I'm able to bring my, my buddy, my, my personal dog, to work with me every day and use him as uh, my not only my companion, but to find drugs. And part of the, the contract between myself and the apartment that my first six months, he's been on the street, it'll be three years this June, but part of the contract between myself and the apartment was the first six months I had to do public relations and community outreach to show the community that, you know, just because he's a Doberman, you know, he, he's not going to be out attacking people or apprehending people. And, and he's not, he doesn't have that stigma that, that surrounds the Dobermans of, you know, the Doberman gang. He's going to go out and rob a bank or bite somebody. So I had to do six months of, of PR work, which at the time was not my forte. I hated it. I didn't like public speaking. I didn't go out and like my picture taken. So I begrudgingly said, okay, that's what I need to do to have this dog. <laughs> and that six months turned into now three years of me doing PR work on my own and going to children's hospitals and VAs and, and schools and, and anywhere that wants us. We never turned down anything that's asked of us, but just to go out and and you know through through my Instagram I'm able to, to reach a lot of platforms and and part of our our stick is you know uh, our crazy adventure and, and our wonderful shenanigans that we get to do and uh, not only do we I love what I do to find dope and, and put bad guys in jail but and have my partner find it for me but I, that six months probationary period to, to do of something that I didn't want to do turned into three years of something that um, I couldn't see myself do anything else. It's wonderful. And not only has Duke just starred in his first film, but um, you guys just recently, uh, getting ready to go to publish, they just did a uh, nice story on you and Duke in uh, Working Dog Magazine? Yes. Uh, Karen from Working Dog Magazine uh, just came out. We're going to be on the cover, uh, Duke and I. And there's a wonderful story about how, what basically in a nutshell of what I just talked about, our whole backstory, as well as there's a wonderful article on Walking Point in the same magazine. So, RJ, now you have the idea for a movie, you have a successful book, you got your dog lined up, but now you need a crew. 
Now, one of the first people I assume you go to, because behind every great man is a great woman, and you need someone to help with executive production, um, logistics, social media, and you need a partner to help get this project off the ground, which would be your wife, Chelsea. Now, is this your all's first... Now, I know this isn't your first movie project, but for the sake of our listeners who aren't familiar, who may not be familiar with your background, what um, what were some of the other past projects you guys have worked on? So we've worked on, um, we did a short film a while back called Tartarus, The Devil's Basement. Um, our production company, Black 17, we've been involved in a uh, this wonderful uh, documentary, a feature documentary called The Band to Honor with uh, Warren and Annette Hull. And um, they, they live in Vegas, and they have been putting together this documentary about the uh, the naval band that was on the USS Arizona when it uh, when it was at, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, and the band actually went down with the boat. It's a uh, story that not too many people know of, but it's a very beautiful story, and uh, it's it's also, I believe, one of the first times in history that an entire naval band has ever been um, you know, killed in action. Um, so we've been involved in that. Um, gosh, what other projects have we been involved in? Band to Honor, Tartarus, The Devil's Basement. I mean, we've written several scripts. We have a lot of stuff in our. <laughs> we have a lot of stuff in our in our back pocket. Um, a lot of feature screenplays, things like that. So amazingly, Chelsea's quite talkative until you get her behind a microphone. Isn't that funny? Now, 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 now we can't get a word out of her. Isn't that funny? We were also involved in this. Uh, we helped produce a, uh, a a feature documentary, another feature documentary called "The Shot in the Dark," um, which was uh, actually all put together by this wonderful guy in New Jersey named Chris Shachorsky. And uh, "A Shot in the Dark" is a story about a young man. He's a blind wrestler in high school, mm -hmm. and uh, it's his it's his time while he is chasing um, becoming the state champion. Uh, high school wrestler in New Jersey and some of the trials and tribulations that he goes through his name is Anthony Ferraro he is an absolutely wonderful young man who is now competing uh, in the US World Olympic or the, the Olympics uh, for the United States team uh, the Special Olympics in the United States team as a wrestler and and judo I think is and what judo. it is yeah That's I think it's fantastic judo. story yeah. now back to walk in point um, at what point no pun intended do you guys now obviously you have your book. You're, you know you're, you want to make this into a, 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 a film project. Um, I assume that, obviously, when it comes to the crowdsourcing and all that, you guys have to get to a budget, um, a first level of a goal reaching before you start working on the casting. Now, did you guys hire a casting firm, or did you guys do your own casting? Where does the casting start to find a talent? Who headed up that whole project? So Chelsea headed it up, basically. I mean, there's there's folks that we had worked with in the past, a, a few other actors. Um, I'd say we did it a little backwards. Oh yeah, we we, 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 we do things backwards. We sure. we uh, we actually attended um, Austin Revolution Film Fest, which is about the time we were starting Walking Point back in the fall of 2018, and uh, they had a workshop on crowdfunding <laughs> and social media. Oh, Duke. <laughs> Um, and um, they point blank said, you need to cast it first mm -hmm. and then do your crowdfunding. You need to get your, your, your people on board and then you'll, you'll get your crowdfunding. And we did it completely backwards. And um, we were like, kind of a, we we're kind of in a moment where we weren't sure if that was going <laughs> to work the way that <laughs> we did it. And it was a little bit of a panic, but 
um, we just kind of went for it and um, we talked about it and uh, this is his passion project I watched him many a nights for many years writing this and um, I watched him write it and was in I was nowhere involved sure. except for just sleeping in the bed next to him <laughs> writing. Well, you know the, the crowdfunding piece <laughs> quite honestly was probably one of the easiest parts of the entire story. I beg to differ. Oh, I, well, I mean, there, there were people that were willing to donate their hard-earned money yeah. Yeah. to yeah. the project, and w without anything in return. And and you know, there's there's so many other folks that just bring it to fruition as well. But, yeah, but you have to understand this is not um, this is not our main job. We both have executive day jobs, and mm -hmm. this is just a passion of ours that we do on the side. So we basically are working five full time jobs. It's what it feels like, <laughs> but we work really well together. And um, this was passion, and it became my passion because it was such an important story to tell, and it was. You know everything that you love america and dogs and mm -hmm. patriotism and um you know when we started the the whole project and we decided to make a you know proof of concept film essentially so that we could get the story told eventually this was the way to do it so um you know as far as the casting piece of it yeah you know uh a gentleman i know you're going to talk to him later i believe lou wagner mm -hmm. so lou i believe uh, read the feature script probably six or seven years ago. Sure. Um, and, and Lou is heavily involved in um, animal advocacy, and uh, he actually has a uh, this wonderful nonprofit called Kids Against Animal Cruelty. It's a nationwide thing. It's it's a beautiful thing that he does. And uh, from from the moment that I I saw Lou and I knew he was a young actor at the time. I think Lou was probably fourteen or fifteen. I think I can't even recall. Um, I sent him the script, he loved it. I talked to his mother and everything. And uh, and uh, surprisingly, full circle, Lou and his production company, um, Castle Bay, is, and, and Lou plays our lead. Lou is our private Markle. So, um, casting, it's pretty interesting. Casting was not something that was very easy for this, but I can tell you one of the most special things about casting this project, and we've cast other projects, and I always said, I'll never do it again, I'll hire, I, um, a casting manager that will take care of it all because it's such a huge, huge job and it's such an important job. But we knew what we were looking for and we just decided to do it ourselves. And I can tell you the most special thing about it is when we put this out to cast it, we told people what the premise was. We told them to, you know, let us know if they were military or veterans or connected in any way because it was really important to us that our cast and our crew were um, that had that background, they had that knowledge, and that we involved those types of people. And I can't tell you the floods and floods and floods of applicants. Thousands have come, thousands, and every single one of them, almost without a doubt, had long, long emails. And we've cast other things. You don't get emails with your casting. This one had email upon email about how much this meant to them, how this was a story that needed to be told, how dogs were their life. And just reading through these emails, it was it was very touching how important it was to everybody, and we knew we had something really special at that point. Each one of the actors earned their way. There's no doubt yeah, about it. There for was sure. so much competition. I so mean, much. I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, we had over probably five, six hundred people audition for the various roles. Um, you know, people were sending us auditions when we didn't even ask for auditions, <laughs> just doing reads and monologues sure. and things like that. Um, so yeah, it was tough, but I certainly think we made the right decisions with Lou and Cliff and Josiah and Liza, Dude, Ian. Ian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of 
all a great a lot talent. of good talent out there that that uh, needs to be discovered. Well, one of the other things you kind of had going against you, if you will, or working uphill, not only are you doing an independent film, you're crowdsourcing it, but you're doing a period piece. <laughs> and so now you're going to need, um, one, uniforms, air correct uniforms. You're going to need a consultant, and you're going to need to have somebody to rely on to fill in the blanks because as a reenactor, and the people who, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are reenactors, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that we are dicks about is authenticity. And so where did you proceed to go down that road to figure out where can I get some help with this aspect of the story? Yeah, so, you know, right before Chelsea and I had decided to, uh, to pursue making a short film from Walking Point, we had visited in, in Fredericksburg, Texas, the uh, National Museum of the Pacific War. And they have a, uh, they have a reenactment that I believe they do six, seven, eight months out of the year, um, once a month throughout the weekend. They run it twice a day on that on that set weekend. And um, so Chelsea and I went to go see it, and it was absolutely phenomenal to watch the reenactments that they did. Um, and so afterwards, you know, it was, it was kind of funny. Chelsea and I just looked at each other, and we knew exactly. I knew what she was thinking. She knew what I was thinking. And I was like, let's go talk to this guy who runs this, who, who puts this all together, who handles the... 150 volunteers that, that come and do this. Um, and so we met up with Jeff Copsetta, who is the historian for their living history program. And um, from there, we just started talking about Walking Point and he became one of our biggest champions of the project. He actually has a role in the project as well. He, he plays Andy Boyle. And um, man, let me tell you, it was fate when when we decided to walk down there and just say, hey, I'm RJ, hey, I'm Chelsea. And he said, hey, I'm Jeff. And it was just kind of, from there, it just kind of snowballed. Well, as someone who um, does reenacting and who specializes in the PTO myself, because I've seen many of videos and many of the photos shot at your, out at your facility. And um, at what point, when you got hooked up and involved in the film, did you guys know that well, you pretty much have a soundstage for all intents and purposes out behind your uh, museum and that that would be uh, an adequate place to uh, to do some of the scenes there. Yeah, like RJ told me before, the production value of the Pacific Combat Zone at the National Museum of the Pacific War is just almost priceless. And I, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that until we started filming there. And uh, it, it's not a very large area, mm-hmm. but he made it. He made it large. Uh, the amount of scenes that he filmed there, the, the amount of uh, footage that, that was taken from there is... I, I saw, I mean, I, I, I'm there 40, 50, 60 hours a week sometimes. Um, it's my backyard. It's my office. And seeing what he did to it, uh, how he transformed it, was unbelievable. The, the viewers won't... I mean, some of, some of the, uh, the people who know that, that place very well uh, won't recognize it in the film. He really, uh, his, his foresight and his, uh, what was in his mind, um, to, to see it happen right there, uh, right behind my office was just incredible. What an incredible experience to be a part of it. Now, when he came to you and, and you were definitely interested, I'm sure, was there, um, any work to be done on your part to get the museum to, uh, be willing to do this or were they on board from the from the word jump i mean one obviously the uh 
the Museum of the Pacific War, obviously they focus on the United States Marine Corps, um, with the exception of maybe a half of a half of a scene in the HBO Pacific. Um, war dogs really aren't covered at great lengths, at least in uh, feature feature films. Where so were they just yeah do it, or was did it take a little little more coaxing to to allow them to uh, allow production on your property? I uh, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Not well, to put you in a hard spot. No, not at all. So first, I want to, I, I do want to mention that we focus on all five branches that had such a pivotal role in the Pacific War. Um, there are, there is a part of the the uh, the museum that focuses on war dogs and how important they were. But you're right, it, it is very overshadowed, and I didn't realize how overshadowed it was till I met uh, R.J. and Chelsea. Um, I did research till my eyes were bleeding uh, for the sake of this. But to answer your question, um, there's so many stories that need to be told mm -hmm. uh, from, from World War II, and that's what I try to do uh, in my everyday job. Um, I'm not a reenactor. Uh, it, living history is, is very different. Um, we try to tell an entire story of an entire generation when people come to see our museum. Um, to reenact something that happened in history could never be done perfectly. No. Uh, but we do have that ability, that artistic license in, in to be living history actors, to uh, to tell a story, to evoke emotion. And the my colleagues and, and my superiors saw the passion that I had for this project. It was a story that needed to be told. Uh, and like I mentioned before, where else can we do this? but the National Museum of the Pacific War that focuses on that struggle in an unbiased way from the American and Japanese side and what it really took um, to do what we did in such a short amount of time, how the entire country came together uh, to, to, to accomplish what we did in the Pacific. Uh, we'll, you know, nothing parallels that. Well, not only are you a consult, uh, not only would you be a great consultant because you know you do work at the National Museum of the Pacific War, but you yourself are in fact a Marine. <laughs> you, you <laughs> say, sir. I mean, give this man some ground. <laughs> so I was a soldier in the <laughs> army. Really? <laughs> well, see, you know that's From the best. Two thousand one to two thousand five. <laughs> well, see, you know that's the best part about podcasting is I can edit all that shit out. <laughs> that's beautiful because it's a giant pile of shit. What you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair to me, I, I I thought I heard like four people refer to you being a marine today. <laughs> Yeah, there there was uh, there was a few former Marines on set today that I was uh, razzing, okay, uh, so and not did not judge me by wearing a, a Marine Corps uniform today. Well, I, at no point today did I hear the phrase "dog face" thrown around, so I I wasn't you know aware that you <laughs> right. you were in, in in the army. I yeah, just, yeah. So uh, and if and if you'll allow me, and you don't edit this out, sure. uh, today marks the uh, the fifteenth anniversary. It's it's all over my social media, uh, and I'd love to give a shout out to uh, some former colleagues of mine. Fox Troop Ninth Cavalry Regiment, fifteen years ago today, took a uh, a picture when we first uh, pushed up into Baghdad, um, and we all uh, fifteen years, man. It Time was, flies, man. It was fifteen minutes ago in yeah. my mind. And that's what really helped me harness um, the energy that I could try to give uh, RJ and Chelsea. I, I'm not a consultant. I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm a former soldier, 
and, I, and I'm the living history coordinator at the most incredible museum uh, in the country. Um, I just wanted to be a part of this sure. because the greatest generation, as we all know, is, is slipping past us. And like I said before, there are so many stories that needs to be told. And, and it brings us all, it's full circle. Our, the mission statement at the National Museum of the Pacific War is to uh, inspire our youth by honoring our heroes. And uh, I have a short amount of time left where I can go up to one of these heroes and say, is that how it was done? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't like to think about the day that they're no longer with us. Um, but I do realize the responsibility that we have on our shoulders for all of those who are passionate about this time period, that when they're no longer here, that our youth will look up to us. So we got to get it right. We, I mean, we, we have to. Um, it can't be forgotten, and it has to be honored. Um, and that's that's what we do. That's what, that's what RJ wanted to do, and I just wanted to be a small part of it. Yeah, we're definitely fighting the clock. Now, Ed inadvertently took Duke and wandered off, but he, he wandered off too soon because I have more questions for Ed. We weren't done with Ed. Um, we can fly back in. Yep. A small room so we can make it all work. So we're going to fast forward a little bit here. So now you got your funding, you got your casting, you got your consultant, you got your location. And so now we're going to go to Real quick, what was your uh, shoot schedule like? Uh, so our shoot schedule was, uh, I worked really hard with our director of photography, Duncan Johnson, and uh, several other uh, uh, folks that he works with on a daily basis, and some people I've worked with before in the past that put together a really awesome crew. We were able to to get uh, four days in Fredericksburg, Texas, two of those at the National Museum of the Pacific War, uh, two more of them in various locations, um, housing locations actually in uh, Fredericksburg, and then we just finished wrapping two days here in Bokelia at a, uh, a wonderful location uh, that we happened to come upon that uh, is managed by a, by a Marine, a former Marine, Pete, and, uh, and we, we reached out to Pete, who works at a group called Palmco, and um, through those guys, we were able to hook up with an owner of a large coconut grove, about a 50-acre coconut grove, who um, has ties to the entertainment industry in her past as well, and uh, after talking to her, she was very happy to let us come down here and, and use her land and, um, and and finish shooting those two days here, and that's that's been kind of an overarching theme of this entire project. There's been so much um, just graciousness and people donating their time and people donating their resources. Most of our food in Fredericksburg were donated by local museums. Some of our housing was donated by local um, Airbnbs and, I'm sorry, (laughs) yeah, restaurants. A lot of our uh, food were donated by local restaurants in Fredericksburg, and uh, as well as some of the housing and things like that. Everybody was very happy. I think actually when Duke and Ed were walking around in town, people would say, "Oh, aren't you guys here for that for that film Walking Point?" So uh, it was just I don't know. Fredericksburg embraced it. Everybody in Bukelia has a bra- embraced it, and um, we were very happy to have an uncontrolled environment shooting six days outside and we didn't have to fight off any rain. <laughs> that in itself is <laughs> From a, a production that means a lot. Miracle. Yes. Now, Ed, um, first day of shooting, obviously, as you said, you know, 
Duke is a working dog. You yourself as a police officer. This is all new to both of you. Mm-hmm. Unlike other actors, um, yes, you're in control of Duke, but Duke is in control of Duke. Yes. Whereas if you're an actor, all the all that pressure falls on you to perform, whereas you, the pressure falls on you to get him to perform <laughs> in a situation that he's not ever done before. Absolutely. Day one, first shoot, you're driving into the location. What was going through your head? Please don't embarrass me. <laughs> Please don't embarrass me. RJ put a lot of trust, RJ and Chelsea put a lot of trust in me that I can honestly say I trust my dog a hundred percent to do his job and everything else that entails but you know as in anything if you're walking in the door and you have no experience and somebody has you know the faith in you to say yeah we want you yeah you don't want to screw it up you don't want to trip over you want to do your best you know I have faith in, in Duke has the ability to do what I tell him to do but yeah I was scared shitless I, sure. I didn't I did not want to let RJ down because you know reading the book and researching what he did and, and you know um, if it'll part of the film I did not want to screw up this project that's his heart and soul well you know it's one thing to teach a dog to perform on command and to do such something as you know um, finding mm-hmm. narcotics um, and things like that but when it comes to shooting a movie and acting it's performing that same command over and over and over without getting anxiety, without you know them showing tired or just saying to hell with it, I'm not going to obey, obey anymore. Were you shocked at how well he did as far as the long hours and redoing the same thing over and over again on command? I was not shocked. That's why we casted him. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, like I said, I trust Duke in a lot of aspects and I trust his ability to want to please me and do the job but you know some of the things that you know was asked of me to ask of him you know I'm running it and I'm like yeah I'll, I'll do it but in the back of my mind I'm like oh shit how am I going to do that uh, case in point today um, on a specific scene where Duke had to remain completely still for quite some time mm-hmm. Um, with noises and, and things that he's not accustomed to and, and cameras and people walking around him and gunshots. Um, he did it and he pulled it off. And, and that's the kind of dog that, that he is. I mean, I've, I've grown up with dogs. I've, I've trained other dogs. But he is one of those dogs that I'll probably never be able to find again. He's a one-of-a-kind dog. The way that he interacts with people the way that he can do things that I'm asking of him the first time is just beyond belief so you know he's he's more human to me than I think a lot of humans are I mean he's got a lot of emotion and and he knows um you know and I think the great part about it is when RJ brought us in it wasn't a major major you know where you got 500 people it was a family atmosphere where Within the first six hours, you're, you know everybody's name. Mm-hmm. They're petting Duke and, and and asking questions, and I'm asking questions about how, you know how, how does this work? What am what am I? You know what do you want me to do? It was they put us at ease within the first thirty minutes, and that made us feel better. And and just like in police work, the anxiety of the dog comes from the handler. It flows down the leash. If you have anxiety, if you have doubt, if you have anger it's going to flow down that leash and it's going to screw up your dog 
So RJ and the cast and the crew and everybody put me at ease. They believed in me. So when you have positive energy coming down the, the leash, your dog's going to perform. And he did. And he, do, he does perform so well because, I mean, right now he's got his head on your knee. Everybody's in here petting him. And, and it's <laughs> it's great because he, he almost has, like, a personality light switch. He, like, he knows when it's time to work, and you give him that command, whether it's mm -hmm. watch he, or guard that person, he'll he'll bark, he'll be intimidating. And then two seconds later, that same person he was barking at, he'll go up and sniff and say, hey, mm -hmm. what's up? Let me give, me, give me a little pet right here. Yeah. And he's just, he seems so docile and so loving one moment, and then the next minute, hey, it's time to go to work. Yep. Let's get the work done. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a forever dog, one-of-a-kind one dog. Um, you know, they, they say that sometimes dogs come into your life when you need them the most, and he did. He's definitely a beautiful animal. RJ, um, before we uh, bring on the two of your actors, um, like I said at the beginning of the uh, podcast, today is the uh, rap party for Walking Point. Yeah, yeah. And now uh, you uh, here shortly going to be doing the uh, probably some more tedious stuff, which is the editing, the color correction, and the uh, the sound, and and then the uh, distribution and all the logistics stuff. Um, is there anything you want to say to your guys on uh, this your rap uh, day that uh, you didn't say to anybody earlier? Is there anybody you want to give an extra thanks uh, to? That, mean, you, that, I, yeah, that gosh, it's, I, I thank everybody, right? I mean, it's hard to name everybody by names because we had so many people that helped and work out. I just don't want to leave anybody out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody. It wouldn't be possible. I'm, I'm just a person with a vision, and that's that's... In my eyes, that's all I really am. Because without people to help build that, you know, it's like building a wall, right? You have to, you you put a brick down, yeah, put a brick down, right? Mm -hmm. You can't you can't build on top of that until you have that first layer of bricks, right? Sure. Yeah. So if you're going to build a house, you're going to build a wall, you're going to build whatever, you got to build on top order. of it. Absolutely, you got to build on top of it. And uh, build that wall. Yeah. So just. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that wasn't the right analogy. <laughs> well, back to something. <laughs> well, back to something Ed said earlier about <laughs> your guys' canny ability to make people feel at home. Yeah. Um, like I said, I just reached out to you, said, "Hey, um, I want to promote your your project," and then it was, "Hey, we're gonna be in your backyard instead of us doing yeah. a phone or come down to, hey, why don't you come down to the set to yesterday? Hey, come out to have dinner with us." And I spent one day with you guys, and I got the same feeling that Ed was talking about, that your whole crew, from the actors to, you know, your uh, DP to the lighting, the makeup, everybody is just, you guys definitely, you can tell, even over that, you know, four or five day work shoot schedule, that you guys have become so close. Um, everybody's super easy to get along with. I don't think anybody has yeah. even a... a an inkling of an ego or anything it's just it was such a pleasure to watch you guys work t today and uh and i first off i want to say thank you for being so welcoming to me and having me out there and and being a part of this and for all you to come on the uh on the show and uh i personally can't wait to see this project come uh come out to the screen so i can see it see Absolutely. the final we're ready to final get it cut post-production we're ready to get it like you said through color correction and final sound design and, and and get the get the final edits out and everything and we're looking forward to uh allowing everybody to see it and i mean we're certainly thankful for you for 
finding us and us finding you and coming out to set and helping us out. My and pleasure. Let's, let's not act like you weren't out there getting your hands dirty with us, man. So uh, you, well, you were a part of it as well. I well mean, and that's how this project has worked. So without folks like you and our crew and our cast and just people in general that, that want to do what we want to do and my wife, you know, we're, 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 we're just extremely excited to bring a nice uh, project. Well, I can't bring myself to go somewhere with all that logistics going on to to sit around and do nothing. One, it's part of my work ethic, but two, um, being a living historian and a reenactor, I'm used to going out, picking up all my stuff, going to a different location for three days, where you guys have you have guys setting up wall tents, pyramid tents, um, setting up their displays, and that's kind of something we do in our community. It's like. No one just sits around and watches some guy struggle to set up his tent or tear down his equipment. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the film shoot today, I could easily got up in my car. But it's like, no, we're all out here trying to achieve something. You got all this equipment that needs packed up. Let's pack it up. Let's put it together. Let's all get out of here at the same time instead of me, you know, or somebody else just hightailing it and leaving, leaving it for someone else. And So, no, I wasn't just going to come out here today and just take some pictures and <clears throat> sit in the shade. No, I mean, something needed, you know, picked up or... Yeah done hey i'm here let's work let's get let's get the project done well, i mean I'll, I'll i'll just say this kind of in closing before you get lou and i guess josiah i don't know yeah. if you bring it up yeah talk, josiah I would, sure i just want to say thank you for doing what you do and keeping that generation alive because uh, i think as jeff mentioned before i think everybody knows this you know we're fighting the clock fighting the clock and after a while there won't be anybody there to share or tell those stories so you know that's our main goal with this is to share and tell a story well, I appreciate your guys' time, and uh, yeah, we're going to bring on Lou and Josiah, and uh, I will let Duke go lay down because he's been dying for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And that was the other thing I noticed about Duke, too, is like when it came time to for a, a makeup and him getting what he needed done, it didn't seem to bother him one bit. No. As long as he had a nice chill. beach towel to lay on, he was good to go. He likes that eyeliner. <laughs> Do not judge him. <laughs> Do not judge him. I love it. So everything I said about RJ, it's not true. It's <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'd be remiss to say that uh, I think you mentioned earlier, Duke does have a birthday coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, he'll be four years old tomorrow. Um, yeah, now, yeah, for the listeners, that will be uh, six and a half days ago from when you're hearing this, because uh, it is St. Patrick's Day, so... Uh, we're uh, doing this a few days back, but so uh, Duke will have had his birthday, and uh, he's uh, still a young baby, but he's getting older. Yep. Got anything to say, Duke? No, you're tired. No, he's a man of few words. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he, face like that, you don't need words. <laughs> right. His eyes, too. That's the truth. Look at him. He's like, I'm going to drink. He is. Him. I'm out of he's here. Tired. Cut print. He, yeah. <laughs> he had a long day today. Well, I will relieve you of your duty, Duke. Thank you, sir, for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Appreciate sir. It, my friend. So we're going to switch things up. We're going to shuffle some uh, seats, and uh, we're going to get Lou and Josiah in here, and we will continue on with the show. A Marine is always faithful, so is a man's best friend. Twenty-five war dogs gave their lives in the liberation of Guam and were buried at the War Dog Cemetery. Walking Point is a short film about the love, loss, and victory revolving around the young Marines and the donated dogs of World War II. During the first segment of filming in Fredericksburg, Texas, 
Black 17 Production was able to donate $3,100 to the National Museum of the Pacific War. Going forward, all funds raised above the filming budget of Walking Point will be donated to veterans and canine charities. This production is not only about honoring the greatest generation and their four-legged warriors, but also about giving back to the working dog community. And I personally have to say it was a great honor to be made part of this project. And RJ, and Chelsea, and Lou, Josiah, and everyone else on board were great people. The film crew, everybody. And I just want to personally want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. And please go to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the Walking Point icon and I will have a link posted to the fundraising website for this production. Please feel free to contribute as much as you like, as little as you like, because once again, any monies not used for the final production of this movie will be donated back to veterans and canine charities. And I will also include the links to everybody's Instagram and other social media pages on the website.